Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Teresa Kariakis, coming to you from the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcasts presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaming. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaming as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hey there, this is Pleasant Gaming, and you're listening to The Devil's Music a Pantheon podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California. I've had a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult that started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in LA. And as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go, started producing shows, and made a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to write for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s and the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform dance. You might have also seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new Go-Go's documentary. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, go to my website, pleasantgaming.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcasts network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here at Pantheon tells stories about the music we just adore so much, each and every one with a different twist. Find them all wherever you listen to podcasts at Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix, and head on over to PantheonPodcast.com to share a show with a friend, or be damned to purgatory forever. everybody. Today, my esteemed guest is the incredible rock and roll superhero, Elvez, the Mexican Elvis, also known as Robert Lopez. He's a rock star, a punk icon, a cultural phenomenon, all rolled into one. He's also a lifelong buddy of mine. Please welcome the fabulous Elvez. He's doing a slow clap for me. <laughs> do you do that alone in hotel rooms when you're yeah, yeah. Um I just put on the tape and say, I'm coming to the room. <laughs> I was Hello. Gonna, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say fabuloso in the in the in the um 
in the intro, and then I realized it's it's a detergent, isn't it? A disinfectant. Yeah, so it I is. Have to it myself is. at the last moment. Um. So, the first night that I ever met you was a night that lives on in infamy and punk rock. It was at the Orpheum Theater at a gig that um, Peter Case and uh, the Nerves had organized. And it was the Weirdos, um, the Nerves, and you guys, the Zeros from San Diego. And the Germs. It was the Germs no, I, no. performance. Oh, I know that because I got them on that show. Um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. From, from when the, um, you guys weren't at the, at Bomb Records when the Damned didn't in-store that afternoon. But mm -hmm. at, like everyone that lived up here was, it was like a mass migration to the Valley. And so, um. I went up to the weirdos who I'd never seen or met before. This was like when none of us really knew who they were, but, but they looked so astounding. We were all like, we forgot about the dam for a minute and we were standing there with our mouths open, just beholding their amazingness. And um, then I, I, I asked when they were playing and they said they were playing that night. And then I said, oh, well, um, those guys over there are a band called The Germs. Can they play too? And and they said, yes. It was John and Dick Stenny, and they said, yes. But The Germs had never played before. And I think that at that point, they'd only had like maybe three or four rehearsals. And it was the most um, horrifying gig that anybody could possibly <laughs> think of. So before I talk about like, like, um, my impression of you guys at the show. Do you remember like the germs is set? Did you see it or were you like, Oh yeah, no, of course. No, I was impressed. I liked it because I had, I remember that he came out with the peanut butter. I go, Oh, that's Iggy and the destruction of everything. Oh, that's, Oh, this is like performance arts. And I was 16 years old from San Diego. And that was our first show in LA. <laughs> and I was just happy to be there. <laughs> but, uh, but seeing the germs, I go, oh, this is what we start with? Okay, now we're home free because it's a free-for-all and that made me happy. And I understood their references and the total falling apart live on stage. They go, oh, good. This is what we're in for. And I was happy. Made me happy. Yeah, and then the, do you remember that the Damned were there with the Screamers? Yes, Yes. They were all sitting. They were all sitting. Well, see, they, well, I don't remember the screamers being there because yeah, they, they were the ones that brought the dams. Yeah. To um, make them yeah. But I do remember being super impressed with the weirdos because for a 16 year old kid in 1977 to see that was pretty impressive. Yeah, they, they were unbelievable. Um, and, I mean, for anybody that doesn't entirely know about the weirdos, they they were wearing like women's pink or checkered 1960s like raincoats with, and they had all this like crazy just garbage and detritus but pencil paint and beer can flop those things that hold the plastic and it was just great yeah they were they were amazing and they sounded amazing they were like the they, they, yeah no they were they, yeah. Huh? yes no very it was very great yeah it was very impressive yeah, they they blew, they blew everybody's minds. That whole show was like pretty mind blowing, you know. When when I saw you guys, um, you got. I mean, I was I was young. I was I was a teenager, you know. I was like I was seventeen, but you guys looked so young to me. Like I thought at first that you guys were all like thirteen or twelve or thirteen or fourteen. You know, I didn't know that you were just a year younger than me. You guys were like so cute and fresh-faced like compared to like you know what was going on in LA and plus there was a lot of older people in LA like I mean some of the people were like I'm saying this in huge air quotes that no one who's yes. listening can see but but which like, is funny because yeah if we were 20 if we were 17 a 21 year old is was good old old mind. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that was neat because we were real teenagers although we were just happy to be there so we weren't dissing anybody but things like that's a chunk i mean we were teenagers playing teenage music yeah i still have songs uh of yours all the time stuck in my head uh, like zero songs like 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 
before I even, you know, before I even realized that you were coming to LA uh, recently, I was driving down Hollywood Boulevard screaming, beep, 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 too hard. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a great night because I met Alice that night also, who'd been long to, lifelong friends. And, and we got signed to Bump Records that night. He offered us a record thing. So to be 16-year-old, play your first show, get offered to be on Bump Records, which we already knew about. So driving home to be in school the next day, we were just like, wow, this really happened. We played people liked us because we had no friends in San Diego, especially there was no punk rock. But to people be peers with us seeing a wonderful band and seeing there's a real scene of people here and get signed at 16 year old it was a, a wonderful night yeah that's that's unbelievable i mean it's also kind of unbelievable that um that how much bomb had to do with that whole day because they were hosting the dam yes, and then they had, had greg shaw you know the the guy that ran Ran yes, Greg and Susie, they went out a lot, but like, I don't think any of us even connected the fact that they might come to that gig because like they were at places like the Whiskey and the Starwood or the Cabaret, like, like established clubs. And that the Orpheum was just a one night, like illegal thing in a black box theater. So that that's amazing. I didn't realize that was the night that you got signed. And but so fast, Freddie was there. Alice was there. It was everyone who would become the scene later. Yeah, was there. So it was such a wonderful day that I just thought, oh, everyone here knows each other, and we're the new kids. But I think people were just introducing themselves that night, also. Yeah, I still can't figure out. I say this on every podcast, almost. I still can't figure out how we all knew about things like events you know what i mean yeah no. like it, without social media and stuff but even before social media i couldn't i couldn't, couldn't figure out how we how we would all like just know to be at a certain place because obviously people called each other on landlines but i mean there would just be people from all areas of la and la is huge or, for, or well, that other was places like the wonder of band posters is just like i mean we weren't putting them up because we didn't live in that town so we couldn't do it but the whole random idea is like if you put a poster with a car crash on it and write avengers yeah yeah, know, yeah. i'm gonna, I'm gonna t attract that kind of person and whatever punk nihilist oh a picture of a car crash that sounds interesting i want to go to that show <laughs> yeah I'll oh, here, any, anything like that yeah here's a picture of an electric chair by warhol oh that sounds like my kind of people in a yeah. band called the nuns yeah and the flyers pass it's such a random sos in a bottle putting a poster up on santa monica boulevard and hoping someone will see it Totally. And spending hours and and taking the bus around because none of us had cars, you know, that. That's and then having to go to Kinko's or something and make a hundred of them, whatever. Yeah. Or doing exactly. the work office better yet. And, and then cut and paste them yourself because there was like, you know, you had to cut yeah. out of magazines and stuff because yes. it cost money to get shit Xerox. So you had to like get an actual source thing to cut to make a flyer and you couldn't or you were fancy you had letra set and you could rub those little one little letter at a time <laughs> oh my god i remember when when um when i got um uh, so i saved up and got letra set i think that was like 250 or three dollars a sheet for some alphabets but that was a lot of money in those days i yes. saved up for lobotomy and i was rubbing them on and i was like i felt like i was so ritzy you know what i mean i was like wow this is like the fucking big time <laughs> and so the whole idea of your lobotomy is just like you would save images oh i'm going to use this picture of this monster or this odd picture for your gallery of to be used later it's just like you had a little drawer of pictures that you're going to use for magazines or posters later. And that was our. Yeah, that was, that, that was, yeah. Art resources. Yeah. And now you can just pull them from a computer, but it was just like, oh, I got this little drawer full of bits and pieces that are going to be a poster or an album or something later. I know I made, I made a poster like that by hand. Um, 
last year, you know, like I wanted to make one old school and I, and I was thinking like this was like, this <laughs> After was 10 like, minutes ago, this is taking too long. <laughs> no, it wasn't even 10 minutes. It took like over an hour and a half to do it. And yeah. then I was like, how the fuck did I ever find the time to do this? And then I was like, oh yeah, no one would give me a job because I had pink hair. And, um, you know, like, like it was, there was a million people living in the house. So I rent was like $20 each. <laughs> Some people say it was the speed that gave us the energy to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I know one time I was painting people's leather jackets because someone had given me a bunch of acrylic paints and I stayed up all night painting because I love to paint, but I couldn't afford paints. And everyone thought I was on speed. Everybody. Let's go back to you. Um, <laughs> when did you, when did you guys, um, how, how long before that Orpheum show had, had the zeros formed? We had made, we were a band called the Main Street Brats before, so maybe six months earlier, and we had played a quinceanera in Rosarita, <laughs> and that was good, and we had played across the street from our high school at an after-school thing, and that mm, might have been it, and then we switched to the, be called the Zeros, and uh, who was... A friend, Jackie Ramirez, who was a friend of Audrey, who was part of the Backdoor Man writers. Yeah. Audrey, she, she was dating Fast Freddy. And she gave, uh, Audrey gave Freddy a cassette of us rehearsing. And he goes, yeah, we want him to play at our. And that was it for us. So that was literally perhaps our second show. Wow. And, yes. Yeah, you guys were just great. So when when um when about did you did you think of Elvez or did it just come to you? I know that was a lot later, but yeah, a lot later. Uh, it was from the years at La Luz de Jesus for the soap plant, all that stuff, and I had curated a show on Elvis, and I had a bunch of folk artists like Reverend Howard Finster and John Bach. And every day we had independent films on Elvis and um, it was just every day was Elvis stuff. And I go, how many of the hate Elvis at the end of this month or become crazy fan? And I was a fan already, but I remember, I remember, remember Presley land. Uh, yeah, right yeah. across from movies. I remember as a, in 1977 yelling, no Elvis Beatles, other Rolling Stones. Wait, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to explain that to people. Presley land was on Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, and it was, I don't even, was it, it was like a homemade Elvis museum, right? Yeah, it was a woman named Dora, and she worked at Lucy's El Adobe, which was right across from Paramount. Uh, Paramount. Yeah, and she was just a big Elvis fan, and so she made a homemade tribute to him, and she had a Cadillac, El Dorado, El Dorado, so that was her stretch of, um, Elvis had given that her that Cadillac and she was saying although Elvis is dead we are actually married and we'll be together in rock and roll heaven so she was a little crazy but she had the whole she had painting she had made and these big signs which I later got at a uh, swap uh, yard sale in Silver Lake these oh you letters, have them you have the letters that said dear Elvis I have the Cadillac in front I still like horses better blah 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 we'll be together in heaven so I have these she had these two professionally made signs and I got them for $5 each what? at a yard sale in Silver Lake. And I knew what they were. And the person who had them didn't know what they were. And was, oh, my God. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I, for, I, for, I rem As soon as you said those signs, I remembered them. And yes. they changed them every so often, too. She yes. No, uh -huh. yes. no, it was a good homemade crazy shrine to Elvis. Well, now, now, like if someone saw that, that they would think it was, they, they would like categorize it as folk art completely, yes. you know? This is, yes, the pre-folk art. Yeah. 
that's that's pretty wild. So so when you were working at La Luz, that was when you decided to be um, Alves. Is that that's yeah? Right? I decided to uh, dare myself. Our our mutual friend Brad Dunning um, said, "Oh, I have friends in Memphis I can introduce you to." And so I said, "Okay, I'm um, because I." That's when I learned about the Elvis Tribute Week. But you had been earlier, like in the 80s, yeah. to Elvis Tribute Week. Yeah. So I didn't go to my first one until 88. And so Elvis Tribute, for those who do not know, is like a Dia de los Muertos for Elvis. All the impersonators come out. There's an Elvis. There's hotels that decorate the windows. There's film festivals. There's fan club meetings. An Elvis 5K run. But the whole city goes Elvis crazy and there's this great thing called Bad Bob's Vapors where they have an impersonator concert from like three in the afternoon to three at night they would have impersonators from around the world and a woman who kept on coming every day to the Elvis Elvis show at the La Luz told me oh Memphis is the place you ought to be and so I called them and faked my way into the contest and say, I'm Bob Cavada calling for Elvis, the Mexican Elvis. They go, oh, yeah, we've heard of him. But I hadn't existed. So they got me on to the bill. <laughs> and I remember going to the candlelight vigil because on the at nighttime at midnight, all thousands of people would walk with candles to the Elvis grave and put a roses or candles and stuff like that. And so at that candlelight vigil i made of like 300 posters and i taken images from fun in acapulco and of elvis playing with mariachis or elvis in the bullfighter outfit and i put the title elvis is mexican elvis the mexican elvis so i was promoting the show the next day and at first i was thinking oh maybe this isn't a good idea because everyone was really serious but everyone grabbed my posters so flash and then the next day i had a built-in audience and so it was just by fluke. I was going to do it once and it backfired because then it got written up in the uh, L.A. Times about the weekend. And before I hadn't even done a show in L.A., it got mentioned in the L.A. Times. And then it just kind of rolled in luck from there. And that That is so awesome. I didn't know all of that. Wow, that's so great. I used to, I used to pretend to be like my my band's booking agent and, and or manager and stuff, too. That's the best way. It's just like you pretend and now everyone knows. I think my sister used to get us into shows in the early 70s, like the Kings and Mark Bolin. And you just pretend you have a press pass or a call. I'm from this paper. Yeah. And now it's so much different. It's like in those days you could fake your way into things. I know you totally can. <laughs> it still works for hotels, though, sometimes if you call ahead and say like, you know, Mr. Vez would like, <laughs> Mr. Vez, like, can't be near a room with children or something. You know what I mean? And then if you just, like, call up a hotel and and act like you're somebody's, like, manager, then they always, like, wind up putting, like, flowers and, like, fruit bowls. And yeah, yeah. wouldn't normally be there. Except My now, trick now is always... everyone that's listening is going to start trying that. Yes, yeah, they, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um when when was the when was the year that that um i went to to memphis with you you went to 1980 no when, when, when i went with you oh that one that was 81 89 and that was with abby 90 Travis. or 91 yeah yeah with abby Travis. and she was 90 91 maybe 91 or 92 that was for my the gospel show so maybe 92 i had four elvets and that was uh an odd show and we played at the overton shell which was one of elvis's first it's like like a miniature hollywood bowl only at a park in memphis where elvis did one of his early shows before he was signed um and so was was um who were the Elvets that were with you that that time was Abby and uh, was Abby Travis and Elvet? Abby was one of them. There was a brand new girl. She was Vietnamese, and I can't remember her name, but I remember her eating fried chicken skin with those little butter tubs, 
and she, we went to some southern uh, soul food restaurant, and she would eat the chicken skin with butter. And uh, there was a, a vet named Chrissy. That was an odd pairing, and another one I can't remember her name. There was been so many Elvets. Because they were just <laughs> that was an... up Elvets. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then I was I was belly dancing um while you to Little Egypt, right? While you got yes, uh-huh. that, that was yes. My <laughs> um, I, my favorite part about that trip was anytime I went into a ladies' room. Um, in any part of you know Memphis, which was all Elvisville, there'd always be like these really old ladies in there, um, like o- older than I am now, <laughs> um, gossiping about Elvis. Like, like, yeah, um, yeah. He didn't know I was thirteen. I told him I was nineteen. <laughs> you know, that, or, or like that. Like I heard the, I, I was I was in a. a bathroom stall with and Abby Travis was in the one next to me and then we were like kicking each other under the you know under the stall door because there was three old ladies in there discussing like his, Elvis's makeout techniques and like what they were <laughs> tell their moms to sneak out of the house and stuff it was it was amazing like if I would have had you know a smartphone with a voice memo I would have just taped yes. the entire uh-huh. conversation it was fucking amazing yeah that that was so crazy. So have you been back there since at all? To- I have since that time. I've been back a couple times. I used to go every year at the beginning, but I haven't been since maybe ninety six. Oh wow, that's a pretty long time. Yeah, a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, but I still love it. I just that's where I got my start, and I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Brad Dunning invited in introducing me to Belinda Kellogg, who introduced me to all the people who knew Alex Chilton and all those people and the Tab Falco people and bands who were, they just connected me right into all that. Oh, yeah, rock, yeah. Oblivion. Yeah. It was a fast track. Very lucky for me. Yeah. That's really great. All of those people are really good. Um, I, I know that. Um, through Brad, or and also like kind of because um Lux and Ivy like we're we're recommending that I look them up too on the first time that I went there with when Anna and I went there we that was when we met all of them we were um we were at the Anna and I were at the well this place called the well where the Panther Burns were playing and the um the place got busted because they thought they were serving minors, which I'm sure they probably were, but it happened happened while the Panther Burns were on stage and Anna Statman and I were go-go dancing on stage. And then then, um, Alex Chilton was playing with them and he, and he, he like dragged me off stage and hustled me into a broom closet because the police were like storming the place. And then, (laughs) and so the minute we got in the closet, he fucking lights up a joint. I mean, that, that was not, that, that was a mental movie. That's not like yes. now. Like, but like pot wasn't legal anywhere. And like, who lights up a joint in the middle of a bus? And then the, and the, the, the policemen were so either so green or so polite that they didn't just check the room closet. They heard noise in there and they knocked on the door and said, is anyone in there? Like, like really polite. And, um, and, um, like Alex opened the door and all this, all this like marijuana <laughs> was pouring out of it. And I thought for sure we were going to jail, but instead he just immediately grabbed me and started making out with me. And and this was, this was just for show. It wasn't for any kind of romantic endeavor. But when the policeman saw that, he went, "Oh, I'm sorry." Oh, pardon me. Like, 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 and he closed the door. Excuse me. <laughs> It was fucking psychotic. Anyway, <laughs> um, so you just got off a tour, right? And then you're going to Europe now. Is that is that? I um, just go. I uh, just finished a tour with a band called Me First in the Gimme Gimmies, who are great guys. But what they do is punk rock. They do songs like. Uh, I'm leaving on a jet plane or me and Julio down by the schoolyard in punk rock tempo. Uh-huh. But it reminded me of, remember, Hell Negro and the Satin Tones. Yes. They were doing that 
in 77, I remember being at the mask and I didn't drink much then. I saved that for later, but I remember being drunk and I was with Trixie Plunger and Hal Negro and the Satin Tones were playing a set of like Sugar Sugar or yeah, Last yeah. Train to Cartsville, all like they did doing in the punk stuff. And I remember being infuriated and saying, they're making fun of punk rock music. They can't do this. This is not fair. They're making fun of us. And who knew that later that would become my life of parody of taking stuff like that. But I was going, oh, the give me first and the give me give me. So oh, we had that back in 1977 with Hell New Girl. Yeah, he just passed away not that long ago. Yeah. So sad. Hi, Hal. Hi in heaven. Hi, Hal. Hi, Hal in rock and roll heaven. Um, And then, so you're you're going to Europe now at, at, at the time to- of this recording? Yeah, I will be on Saturday. On Saturday, I will leave for Spain. I'm doing a little tour of Spain for Christmas shows. That's awesome. That's great. And then, and then, what do you, what do you, what kind of plans are you having for next year? I am moving to Mexico City. Oh, you um, are. That is becoming the yeah. punk rock mecca with, with Alice yeah. Bag and Belinda already lived there. Yes. Who else? Is anyone that I am not aware of living there? Um, a bunch of different artists. Uh, Guillermo Gomez Pena moved there. One of my punk rock guitar players, Rick DeLees, moved down. Uh, my friend who was a writer from San Francisco in the punk rock days has moved down there. So it's like a bunch of ex old punk rockers are that's so cool. Down there. Well, now I have to go and visit now that I know like more, yes. than, more than three people. Yeah, you there. can come stay with me. Yes. Yay. I'll come and stay with you. I'll be, I'll be an old vet if you play down there. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be the aging old yeah. vet. <laughs> you, you can Thanks be fat old vet, even though you're not. You can yes. wear a fat suit. I'll be like, like, um, like resurrected Priscilla or something. Yes, we'll, we'll get you a beehive. Oh, I could do it. Here, no one can see this in the audience. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. Uh, we better we better take a little break now. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And here we are back. Um, Elvez is drinking. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying. He's watching. <laughs> yeah, it's Monday um, off. One of one of his groupies made him a drink right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be Anna Statman. I was just gonna. I say met that. Anna Statman at Liquor's Pizza in 1977. Who's that Liquor's Pizza? Yeah, Anna Statman, for anyone that's listening, was she was like a hugely integral part of the punk scene. Um, she played in the in the red lights with Jeffrey Lee Pierce. She worked at Licorice Pizza and she was the one that like fought the managers so she could get all the like import 45s um 
you know, like like the the first, you know, anyone's first single from the UK, like the adverts or the Sex Pistols or the Damned or whoever you thought of, like no one, no one at that store, like pretty much knew who any of uh, those people were except for Anna Statman. So, um, Elvez's thing at Anna Statman's palatial. Kudos, to, yeah. She connected so many people. Oh, you like this record? This other person likes that. She was really integral, especially because we didn't live in L.A. We lived in San Diego. So we would get the 411 on what was happening at the Licorice Pizza from Anastat. Yeah, and Anastatman wrote for my fanzine Lobotomy, too. And she also took lots of pictures. She was great. So you you guys that are she listening, still is great. <laughs> no, she's fantastic. She still I wish she was. Great. I wish she was making me a drink. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm just the poor crazy old cat lady that I have to give her cats treats so she doesn't fuck up my podcast. My pod. She she doesn't think it's a podcast. She thinks it's a podcasts. So start walking around near the microphone. Oh, she's a cat lady too, just like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you ever gonna um are you ever gonna do um a, a, an autobiography i got offered by uh the university of texas to do they have american music series so after i'm settled in mexico city my first project is to start writing so oh, that's amazing i'm going to, I'm going to join that list of people like you what are you gonna what are you gonna call it do you have any idea well, I'm going to concentrate on 1996 because that was my best year. That was the year I opened for Bowie and Bowie thanked me on stage. Uh, that year I did six Elvez tours, but I was also touring with the Zeros and I was touring with another band called uh, the Trailer Park Casanovas. Oh, so yeah, they were great. We, I That year I would finish with one band and then hop on tour with another band. And that year I was on German TV all the time and doing a lot of MTV stuff. So it was a really crazy year, but it was also the year, my biggest year in Germany. And all the people said, oh, you're a rockabilly. And I go, I'm not rockabilly. I'm I'm public enemy glam. And so I did everything that they wanted me. I did everything that I didn't, since they thought I was rockabilly, I go, I'm going to not be rockabilly. I'm going to be glam revolutionary public enemy and i changed everything on purpose and it worked really it was a really nice year so that's what i'm in 96 when public enemy do you mean like you were doing hip-hoppy stuff no i was just saying fight the power uh, i was all about oh very yeah yeah all about, yeah the, very <laughs> militant chicano politics plus glam rock bowie and just a little tiny bit. It was like I took all my hits and put them into a medley so I could get them out of the way. But I was going on to other Bowie, T-Rex, Glam, Militant stuff. And so it was my year that I was supposed to do what they thought. And I go, oh, okay, I'm going to go the other direction. So it was a real nice, interesting year for me. That's cool. I really think that Glitter Rock was like really what, what started punk rock. I mean, I Yeah, oh, me definitely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It was like so many people were left of what do we do now? And the whole early punk rock was such a great time for me because it was such a more women, more gay, more people of color and such a mix of style. And we were all snarky and clever and everyone knew who John Waters was and you could be dangerously sexy and witty and then at one point, it all became hardcore and turned into something else. And so those early years are so romantic to me because it was like <coughs> glam turned on its head instead of glamorous will be ugly, but smart and funny and witty and completely different than what it turned out to be later. Uh, I, that's, and That's what everybody, everybody uh, uh, that's been on this podcast that that I know and even people that I don't know all say that about early punk rock. And I think so many people um, nowadays, they don't, they don't understand the division. Like when they say, when they hear punk rock, they just immediately think of hardcore and all that. Yeah. That jockey testosterone bullshit, which is so far from what it was when it started. Yeah. Cause it was sexy. It was clever. It was, subversive it was, it was uh, it, was, it was fun 
Yeah, it was sexy also. And then, you know, no one thinks of Black Flag except Henry Rollins and Dolphin Shorts is sexy, but um, <laughs> I think I think Henry Rollins' main problem is that he never got laid. As, <laughs> or, oh, he could have gotten laid lots of times. Yes, yeah, but yeah, no. The change would but what started out, and uh, any show would have a rockabilly band, would have a the Deadbeats, would have the Weirdos, would have a power pop. So you, one show could have four extreme different directions of music, and then it all became formulatic yes and dress wise too and we what? were also we wanted to dress the way we dressed we were oh, yeah. so many variations of art vintage plastic 60s and then it just came jeans and t-shirts yeah yeah i know i mean i mean some of the jeans and t-shirt stuff probably just just came from the ramones you know what i mean yeah but but I mean that that is that is a classic look. I mean, if we were doing punk Vogue, like that would <laughs> that like a, a white t-shirt, blue jeans, like high tops or motorcycle boots and a leather jacket is like your basic staple. But but it just turned into only that for so many. People. Yeah, but I mean, because Sherry the Penguin wearing all her records. The records. <laughs> I mean, we had enough witticism to do that, or wearing a trash bag. Or all your records, or it was, and then the weirdos were just so much art. There was more art back then in the early days. There was mega. The, 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 yeah, it was definitely more art and more sex and more fun. Yeah, say, I mean, because it, when when punk rock turned so angry and just so everything had to also be really fast, which I love stuff hard and fast, but you know, it, all of I. Now I probably sound like I am the old lady that I really am, but I mean, yeah, we all of that hard. We are blessed, <laughs> but you are. But, stuff like, but the stuff like the screamers was such a stronghold. Of what we were, I mean, that was so gay, art, danceable, subversive, scary, sexy, all at the same time, which hardcore could never deliver. Yes, because it came from it came from a whole frame of reference. Let's take one little break right now, and, and we will continue this conversation in seconds. We're we're gonna hear some of Mr. Vez's music, and then we'll be right back. I took my shoes and you'll be sorry. I mess up my hair all covered with moves. And here we are again, um, dis- discussing art. And, um, you know, it was like, like with the Screamers, I mean, all their influences came out. And the Screamers were like such a, such a cerebral band but also so aware of pop culture and stuff like that. There was, there was a few, a few bands like that, but, but the screamers were so unique because they didn't have guitars. And I always feel so bad because people that weren't us in LA, like the handful of people or like, you know, at the mental Institute where the screamers played or anything. I mean, there was, they, they didn't really leave almost any kind of a recording legacy. And it's so tragic, but, at least some of their shows got taped because that that was that was like absolute surrealism all the time. The way Tomato used to dance. Why don't you describe it to everyone that's listening? It was Tomato was like a jerky, frenetic dance. But the thing I think Elvez, I modeled myself after them because he would turn from serious, scary, threatening to oh, I'm just a goofy little boy. The next moment or I'm sexy, and then he'd be menacing back and forth to, I'm a funny, I'm just a vaudeville guy. And it was like such a turn on performance. Every He was a mensch of different styles all in one song, becoming threatening, sexy, and I'm just our gang goofy guy. Once you stay at your house or lock, it was like such a great, live performances and so different because it wasn't guitars 
and it was the future doused in the past of they knew Nina Rota, they knew uh, film noir. It was referencing so many things, and yeah, they were 20s, older than twenties, silent films, all of them. Yeah, and we were like seventeen, and so they were like twenty four, which is a good chunk of time. But I think we learned so much from them of and how to throw a party. I mean, he was just oh such my a god, yes, and, and how to leave a party. I remember, I remember that they used to teach me etiquette. Like I used to. I used to practically stock them. I would I would go to the Wilton Hilton because I lived, you know. Which were such great parties. I mean, I I never had to get to a Truman Capote black and white party in the New York in those days. But I go, oh, this is what it was like. Such a mix of all the riffraff, the rich people. It was every wild man Fisher, you know, fancy movie stars, and Elka Houston, and then your punk rock friends. And it was just such, such a great mix of gay straight rich poor art television writers and it was just like such to me at a 17 year old yeah, high school this is what new york is like only it's california and we are just as artistic and this is what happened in you know Myanmar, dada is parties all these freaks. that's exactly 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 what i what i thought of that too i mean i was like i'm finally like at the, those kind of parties that I've only read about in like Andy Warhol's interview yes. or something. And to do that at 17 is such a thrill. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were unbelievable. Um, which this, this kind of like just naturally rolled right into what I was going to ask you about. Um, so for anyone listening, Alves recently did a tribute to the Screamers um, playing with the Avengers at an L.A. club called Zebulon. And the show was so fucking amazing. I mean, the, the Avengers were just incredible, as always, with the same energy that they had back in the day. And Penelope sounded great and everything was wonderful. But you did like a whole Screamers tribute set. Like, so can, can you talk about that? Like, I mean, obviously now that, now that we just went on this big roll about them, I know that they meant as much to you as they did to me, but like, how did that, how did you even conceive of that? I had done it right before the pandemic, before COVID hit, I had done my first show and then I got commissioned by the LA County library to do a storytelling of the screamers of how musicians of LA influenced me and they are I would say my biggest influence but then COVID shut everything down and we had a tour set up and all these other shows so this was the first outing since COVID times to put that back on the road and it's a love letter of me you know Alves doing the screamers and exposing my influences which is them and how much they inspired me in, in music and performance yeah that that was amazing when when i when i first heard that you were gonna do that i yelled out loud <laughs> i was like what oh my God, <laughs> be brilliant like it, it was just amazing like and and it was so good because when you were when you were um on stage you were you were definitely you, but also your movements were, and some of your delivery was so channeling tomato. Yeah, that was the thing. It was too hard to try to do a real impersonation, so it was like Elvez doing that, and it was like fun to be the goofy as I'm going to say to Triggy, but then also to do something scary like Hurt, which is such a powerful, menacing song, especially in those days. And it's just like that was the beauty of. The screamers, it could be poppy, poppy stuff like I'm going steady with Twiggy. And it it's so yeah. scary to have something like her, which is like so scary and great. I like, I always like Matter Dolores, their song. Me too. Me too. I recorded, I recorded two different screamers. Uh, I did Matter Dolores and uh, In a Better World. Cause, oh, good. Yes. Is that is that coming up? Uh, those those were released. One I have a gospel album called Boxing with God, and that Mata Dolores is on that one. And I, I got a kids choir, a kids choir going 
Loco en cabaza, loco en cabeza. Loco en cabaza. Oh my god, the kids' choirs ringing on that. Yes. Oh my god. It was the Cheramoya that near where Disgraceland was at Cheramoya Elementary School. It was her kids' choir. Wow, that's yeah great. for Franklin. By yeah, you were no, I live right across the street. From yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's insane. That's amazing. So, um, what what kind of stuff do you have like now? Um, are you are you doing? Are you thinking of doing any acting, or is that just in my head? That's just in your head. <laughs> but now that I said I it, it will happen. Uh, I've done some, but uh, it doesn't appeal to me as much as live performance. I've been doing of late a show called The Unhappy Hour, which is kind of like a stories and songs for people on antidepressants. So as Elvez is really positive and happy, uh, The Unhappy Hour is like jazz songs with really sad stories, but really, they're funny, but they're really, really dark. But uh, complaints of an old man set to jazz. <laughs> who's who's playing with you on that? It's just me and a piano player, this wonderful kid from San Diego named Ashley. So he's a piano. So it's just almost like Kiki and Herb, only sad and depressing from a point of view of a 63-year-old gay single man who has to put on hot pants, gold lame hot pants to pay his mortgage, which is me. <laughs> At least you have a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. You could be wearing hot pants and pushing a shopping cart. Having yeah. mystery. Pay for my hotel room. Yes. <laughs> and I have another band called Bobby and the Pins, which isn't a tribute to Darby, but those who get the name, yeah. it's uh, me and the, a band called the Schizophonics. We had all original stuff, but the Schizophonics are great friends from San Diego. And so it's a very loud, rock and rolly, great band that I'm happy to be in. And we haven't played San Diego yet, but I hope to soon. So what are you just practicing or you're, um, or you played? No, we've done shows. We've done shows in uh, San Diego and we played with Kid in San Diego. We just haven't. Our drummer is very difficult. He won't travel. Why? He's <laughs> only been in San Diego because he's crazy. Can't you just <laughs> drug him and bring him along? <laughs> that's that's the plan. That's the plan. I'll dress up as a nurse and come down there and do it for you. Yes. Okay. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, nurse. You mean? <laughs> yes. And uh, and I had a band called the Little Richards that we did that we toured with in Europe and Italy, but it was all a tribute to Little Richard. I used to work at the Hyatt. You remember the Hyatt on Sunset? Yeah, the, the Riot House, the Continental Riot House. Uh, I worked there in the early 80s and I would talk to Little Richard every day because he was living there. Yeah. And he would call me Little Robert. And I would, so I finally did my tribute to the him with the band called the Little Richards. So you can look us up on the interwebs. That's a great band too. But yeah, keep, keep him busy. And I have new projects that I'm going to do in Mexico, in Mexico City. When are you moving and there? I'm, uh, I am going to be, I've already put a bunch of luggage there and I've been apartment hunting, but the, this tour came up. So I had to do this. So I have already luggages of, clothes in various friends apartments in mexico city in january i'm taking the whole month apartment hunt so wow belinda if you could an extra ha ha apartment for me although our budgets are very different i'm sure yes i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe you're in alice bag's budget though there there you go yes it's very similar Maybe you can just do a hostile takeover of Frida Kahlo's house and start painting. Isn't that Mexico City, right? Yes, lots. It's almost, some people say too many expats, but hopefully it won't be too bad. But it's I a great know. city. I, I used to go there a lot in the early 80s for the soap plant because I used to be their buyer and bring all the Day of the Dead stuff in the early 80s. And so yeah, I've know. known it really well, but in my 
I hadn't been there in like 35 years because I've been doing Elvez. So now I've done a couple of shows there already. So Elvez has already been doing shows there. That's to Mexico City. To Mexico City. Here, I'll just I'll just raise it. <laughs> Robert's drinking and I'm having water, but we're toasting. Hmm. Well, is there any anything else? We covered it all, I think. What? I think that's it for now. You think that's it? I think that's it for now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Unless, Aunt, you want to interview Anna now? But oh, <laughs> just say something, Anna, because we've been we've been gossiping about you on the air. This is Anna Statman, who was a huge part of the. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but are you like waving at the at my microphone? <laughs> no, no one can see you. If people saw what I look like when I record this shit, no one would listen to it. <laughs> okay, no, I'm, I've just been listening, writing notes. Oh, and like, don't forget to talk about the screamers. Don't forget to talk about no dos. <laughs> oh, no dos. Wait, you were writing you were writing Robert notes and handing it to yeah. him? Oh, I think yeah. I'm just giving him drinks. Okay, so half of this interview was this interview with with Elvez was conceived and orchestrated by Anderson. <laughs> You guys, there's a story about Anna Statman in my new book, Rock and Roll Witch. Actually, it's not that. Oh, I'm horrified. Is it really? And yeah, Anna doesn't believe there's one in there. Now she's horrified. It's when we when we went across country on the train, Anna. That was great. Yeah, that was great. Remember, we got all those um, Mad Dog 2020s and 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 um, from the cramps garbage. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's all in the story. <laughs> so do you remember in New York when you were staying at Bradley Fields? Was he yeah. what band was he in then? Oh, he was in Teenage was that and the Oh look, look, look at little was. little puss in the window trying to get in. Huh? Did you see her back then? What? Yeah. Little puss little puss. Oh, I thought you were talking you know, about my house. Stuff. Okay, now we sound no, like no, crazy no, cat no. ladies. Mm-hmm. Look at her. I can't see her. I can only see you. Okay, we're on, the air now. we're on the air right now. We're on the air over here. <laughs> okay, Robert, you have to come and say one more word to, to people so they don't think we're insane because no one's going to edit this shit out. I can guarantee you. Thank you, everybody. This has been Elvis talking with Pleasant. Two Perhaps old people from the 70s who still love the punk rocks and were kids then. And we're working in the future now. And we still dance. Her belly dancing and me doing the splits and headstands on stage. You can still do it. <laughs> yeah, People. you can still do it. Okay, we're, we're splitting the scene and heads headstanding on out of here. Um, so thank you guys for listening. That was Elvez. Is he not the most fabulous or fabuloso person ever? Okay, bye, you guys. Mwah. Mwah. Stay clean. Use Fabuloso. (laughs) Come listen to me. Come on, come on. The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 